to Luke chapter 19. And let me say we're glad for all those uh, who are visiting with us on this 4th of July weekend. I guess it's the 4th of July. You know, every holiday just about ruins the services for us. Um, so many of our people go away. We have a lot of what some folks call hillbillies in this church. They, are, they go home every time they get a chance. And uh, I remember Dr. John Rollins one time years ago said if he could blow up that bridge that crosses the river there in Cincinnati, he'd blow it up and keep all these hillbillies from running home so many times. Now, a lot of ours have gone, but you're here with us. Um, next uh, Sunday, see, the 4th of July this year comes just about in the middle of the week. comes on Thursday. So really, two weekends are involved. But we're glad you're here with us. We're going to have a good time right through these two Sundays. Uh, we've been praying here at this church that the Lord would make this a great summer of harvest. And so far, the Lord has wonderfully uh, answered prayer. And it's been a time of harvest for us. The last Sunday in May, Memorial Day weekend, there were 40 people who responded to the invitation and trusted the Lord as their Savior. There have been a number of people every week since then. One Sunday since then, there were 38 professions of faith here in this church, and we thank God for that. I'll tell you why this is happening. We have in this church, thank God, a group of people who have the souls of men and women and boys and girls on their hearts. We had nine ladies meet Tuesday morning and go out on visitation. We've been praying about a ladies' visitation work. Not that our ladies have not participated. They have, for all these years, had a great part. But last Tuesday, nine ladies went out, won nine people to the Lord last Tuesday. Turn to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to begin reading with verse 11. And we'll read through verse 27. This, I want to speak to you this morning, and God willing again tonight, I'm going to speak on what is called the parable of the pounds. We've been preaching from the parables here for a number of weeks in our church. I don't know about anybody else. I really don't. Folks don't say much to me about the sermons. And I don't really want them to because I'm sure most of it I wouldn't want to hear. So I don't know about the rest of the folks, but I want to tell you the parables of Jesus have been a great blessing to me. I've never enjoyed anything anymore in my life. I've never appreciated them as much as I have in recent weeks. And we've been preaching for several weeks on the parables of Jesus. It's impossible to describe... How much of the New Testament is taken up with the parables of Jesus and how much the truths in these parables go back and forth throughout the whole Word of God. It's almost like the parables of Jesus is the summary of the whole Bible. Now listen, friend. Before us today is a tremendously important part of the teaching of the Lord. I mean, it gets down to home, gets down to where we live, 
deals with our hearts and lives in a very specific way. I want you to prayerfully read with me what is called the parable of the pounds, beginning in Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. As I said, I can't cover it all this morning. We'll just take a few minutes. But I'm going to do what I've often done through the years, and that's take two times uh, to preach one sermon and uh, spend, God willing, this morning and tonight over in the campground on this parable of the pounds. It is a tremendously important part, the Word of God. Let's look at the reading of the Lord's Word. And as they heard these things, there's nothing superfluous in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you in a moment why I believe the Lord spoke this parable. When they'd heard these things, and this makes reference to some important matters, when they'd heard these things, he added and spake a parable because it was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Only one time in the New Testament do you find the word occupy. And it's found in this parable. The nobleman said to his ten servants, Occupy till I come. And his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound <coughs> hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, <coughs> Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest thou that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own 
with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. And I'm not going to comment on this verse in my dealing with the parable of the pounds. So I want to mention something wonderful to you about it in the reading of this passage of Scripture. The Lord here says, uh, Everyone which hath shall be given. Now you're going to see the Lord is talking about the use of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. He's going to talk, in essence, about winning people to Christ. And what this verse is teaching, those who use the gospel, work in the gospel, those who take the message of Christ and use it to win people to the Lord, he's going to just keep adding and adding and adding the blessings to them. But those who do not use it will soon become absolutely sterile in their life. For the Bible says, even that he hath, not his salvation, but his use of the Word of God, the use of his testimony, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. I want you to pray for me this morning as I look at this part of the Word of God, that the Lord will help us to see what tremendous things are here for the child of God. I've mentioned a number of times in speaking about the parables that there's always a reason for a parable. Jesus never spoke just to be talking. When Jesus opened his mouth, he gave forth eternal words. And there's not a parable in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. There's not a parable. But what there's a cause and a reason why the parable was given in the first place. And that's true of the parable of the pounds. You read that when they heard these things, he added and spake a parable unto them, because he was nigh unto Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now, I want you to think about something with me for a moment as an introduction to this parable. You know, some great things that happened. I mean, tremendous things. In the 18th chapter of the book of Luke, we spoke to you last Sunday morning on the most familiar prayer for people, I guess there is in the Bible. God be merciful to me a sinner. And you see, it was a publican that prayed that prayer. A hated, wicked, despised Republican. A publican, not Republican, Lord have mercy. A publican. Well, there's some Republicans like that, you know. And perhaps a few Democrats also. 
if you want to get right down to the politics of this parable. But anyway, uh, a publican came to that temple and prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord heard his prayer. Thank God he always hears this prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord said, that man, not that Pharisee who prayed, I thank you, I'm not like other people. But that publican who prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said he went down to his house justified rather than this Pharisee who prayed so hypocritically within himself. So we see in chapter 18, a notorious sinner is saved. Now when you get to chapter 19, where we've read from this morning, you read Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jericho is the city of the curse, according to the Bible. And there was another publican in Jericho. He was well known. He was a little man, short of stature. Our little granddaughter, Suzanne, sings a little chorus about Zacchaeus was a wee, wee little man and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was to pass that way. Zacchaeus was such a, a, a thief and such an extortioner and such a notorious sinner. And oh, how the Lord loved him and how the Lord came to die for him. And when Zacchaeus, because he could not look over the heads of people, climbed up into the sycamore tree, and the Lord came under that tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And the Bible says, now listen carefully, that he, he came down and received Jesus joyfully. And Jesus went home with Zacchaeus, this publican who was so wonderfully saved, that he said, uh, Lord, if I have taken anything from any man, he could have left out the if. He could have said, since I have taken anything from any man, I restored him fourfold. What I'm saying unto you, two publicans have just been saved. I tell you, things were happening. The air was filled with electricity, spiritual electricity. And things were happening. And people were being born again. And God's uh, people's hearts were being greatly stirred. So some said, well, you know, the Lord's been talking about a kingdom that's coming. And it must be here. Why, you think of that publican that prayed in the temple and got saved when he cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And think of this Zacchaeus, whom we all hated because he robbed us and was an extortioner. And now he's been wonderfully transformed by the power of God. They said, why, the kingdom of God must be right here upon us. And the Lord must be, he's near to Jerusalem, and it must be he's going to sit on the throne and reign, and we're going to reign with him. And so Jesus spoke this parable unto them to show them how wrong that they were. And he told them the story of a nobleman who called ten servants 
gave them pounds, went into a far country, and then returned to have them give an account unto him. Now, I don't know this to be true, but there are a lot of people that study this part of the Bible. And they say that something happened that Jesus picked up. It happened at this time that Jesus just picked up and used to get a hold of the hearts of the people and to give the parable of the pounds. Old King Herod, who was a wicked man, died about this time. And there was a young man by the name of Archelaus, his son, uh, who expected to be king in his father's stead. So Archelaus took off to a far country, this nobleman by the name of Archelaus. He went to Rome to have uh, the Roman Caesar to ratify his father, King Herod's will, and to seek the appointment of king in his stead because Rome ruled the world. He did not get that appointment. But when he came back, he called his servants together and said, Now, while I've made this long journey from Jerusalem to Rome, and it meant months of time in this period, in this period of the world's history, while I've been gone, I want to find out how you've used my substance since I've been away. And the Lord told the story of the nobleman who went into a far country and so forth. But I want you to see something this morning because I think it's very important. You see, the Lord told this parable because there were certain who said, now the publican got saved in the temple and Zacchaeus, the famous notorious crook, got saved in the city of Jericho. And the kingdom of God must be right here. And the king is here. And he's nigh to Jerusalem. And that's where he's going to reign. And it must be going to take place right now. And the Lord spoke this parable to tell them and show them the kingdom of God was not yet coming. Because he would die on a cross before long. And he would be raised from the grave after three days locked in the bonds of death. And he would come forth and ascend back into the far country of heaven to await the appointment, the appointed time when his kingdom would come. This is what I'm thanking God for. I'm thanking God that the kingdom did not immediately appear. I'm thanking the Lord that God has put a period of time no man knows the length of it. We know when it started. It started after our Lord robed in blood and crowned with thorns and covered with spittle and shame took upon our, our sins upon him and died on the cross. It started when he went back to heaven and the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. It started then. It will end one day. When the trumpet sounds and the king of kings shall come back to reign, as this parable teaches, I'm glad for this period of time. It's called the dispensation of the church. It's called the dispensation of the grace of God. It's called the dispensation of the Gentiles. It's that period of time when the Lord wants the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth. 
so that all can hear and believe and be saved. Oh, I thank God the kingdom didn't come then because it was not until 1935 when someone told this poor sinner of the wonderful gospel of Christ and I was saved by the Spirit of God. Thank God the Lord corrected this erroneous thinking that the kingdom was just about to appear. Now then, what I would like to do this morning, and if the Lord allows me the privilege tonight, I'd like to take the characters in this great parable. I'd like to take the different ones involved, and I want to tell you something, friend. If you let God speak to your heart, the Lord's going to get a hold of you because I don't know of a place in the Bible where the Lord reaches out and just grabs hold of me any more than he does right here in this parable. I'd like you to notice first the Lord told the parable and he said a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. There's only one who fills the place of the nobleman. That nobleman is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's never been on the face of this earth a more noble person. Now listen, you can talk about your great men all you want to. Talk about the great uh, people of history. You can talk all you want to about those who have originated and started so-called religions. You can talk all you want to about Buddha and Confucius and others. But the most noble one person this world has ever known is Jesus, the Son of God. You think of him, how noble, what a nobleman was this blessed Son of God. The Bible says of him, he was virgin born. Oh, what a noble birth. What a noble birth. Oh, what man saw was a poor Jewish maiden and a poverty-stricken uh, husband-to-be who one night went among the cattle stalls and found the manger. And that night the world heard the infant cry of a little baby. But listen, wrapped up in that infant cry is all the power of God and the deity of God himself. For that baby born that night had no earthly father. He was born, the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit of God. In the womb of that virgin, the only time in all the history of the human race, a woman gives birth without a man being involved. Oh, you talk about a nobleman. Here's the only virgin-born one in all the history of the human race. You think of this virgin-born Christ for 33 years walked among men. One time he said, Who convinceth me of sin? They tried to trap him in his words and came up saying, Never man spake like this man spake. They tried to find flaws in him, but when he died, even his enemies said, Surely this was the Son of God. And one hypocrite and traitor followed him and slept with him under the stars at night 
and broke bread with him at the table and finally sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But when he committed suicide, he said, I've sinned in that I betrayed innocent blood. I want to tell you, I have a perfect Savior today. And a lot of times, and I always, oh, I nearly break out in laughter when people say this to me. They say, you know, uh, you, you people over there at Emmanuel Baptist Church, you, you're not perfect. And I almost break out in laughter. And I shock them. I've almost seen false teeth fall out on the ground. Because I always say, you're right. Look them right, lie right in the eyes and grin just as big as I can. You're right. And I've had them say, there's no perfect preacher in the world. Well, you, I always say, yes, that's right. There's no perfect, there's no perfect anybody. Anyone. No one is perfect. And I always say to people, you're right. Then they look at me as they say, well, what am I going to say now? I wasn't expecting that. I thought he'd argue with me at least. Oh, no. I'm not going to argue with you. I've never met a perfect Christian, never met a perfect father, never met a perfect mother, never met a perfect child, never knew a perfect brother in the Lord, never knew a perfect sister in Christ. But I want to say to you, I have met a perfect man whose name was Jesus, who walked across the threshold of my heart more than 50 years ago and brought me out of darkness into light. And when I talk to people about Jesus, I thank God I can say he's perfect. Because no one has ever found fault in him. He said a nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom unto himself. Now you know the Lord has a right to a kingdom. That one, oh, how they mocked him. It breaks my heart when I think of it. They put a crown of thorns on his head. When I think of how much he loved me and in dying for me, and I think of this, my heart is broken. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They blindfolded him who sees everything. As if to keep to obscure his vision, the one whose eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, beholding the evil and the good. They put the crown and cruel Roman soldiers with protected hands crushed it till it pierced the flesh and scraped against the skull of our Lord. And then they stood back as they woke up and jerked his beard out of his face and then smite him and smite him. And they said, Who smote thee? He knew. Let me tell you, in the day of judgment, he'll know too. Well, oh, I think of, of him when they said, Oh, you're a king. Let's crown him. Crown him with thorns. Oh, hallelujah, he is a king. And he's in heaven this morning, seated at the right hand of God, awaiting the glorious moment when the last one will be saved to make up the body of Christ. And then he's coming back. Hallelujah. The Lord has a right to a kingdom. You know, his kingdom is being formulated right now. I mentioned I'm glad for this period in the history of the human race because it's, a, it's the period in which the gospel with the greatest freedom has gone 
almost to the ends of the earth. I wish I could say to every man, woman, boy and girl, and every tribe and tongue and nation and kingdom around this globe, but I can't say that this morning. But this is the age of the gospel, and his kingdom is being formulated. You know, there's a verse you ought to look at sometime. It's an important verse in the Bible. It's Acts chapter 15 and verse 14. When James was speaking, he said, he declared how, he spoke about how Simeon, or Simon Peter, did declare unto us uh, at the first, or for the first time, that the Lord went to the Gentiles to call out of them a people for his name. That's what God's doing. That's the program of God. Some folks say, what do you think God's doing during this age? He's calling out a people for his name. And I have folks say to me, preacher, when do you think the Lord's coming back? I don't know. I'm not a date setter. And the Lord said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. But I'll tell you, in a sense, when it's going to happen. When the last man or woman, boy or girl, that's needed to make up this people called uh, for his name. When the last one comes and puts their heart in the hands of Jesus and is saved, the Lord's going to come back. Thank God he's going to rule and reign. You know, this world's in a mess. Now, I know what you're thinking. You think, well, any fool knows that. But I want to tell you, friend, I don't think you and I know how topsy-turvy this world is. It's literally turned upside down. I don't think you and I are capable of comprehending the awful inequities and the awful injustice and the awful sin and the awful disturbance that's in this whole world. But one day the Lord's coming and he'll make it right. But now wait, wait a minute. Now I want to close with this. I'm saying the nobleman's the Lord Jesus. He's a noble person, has a right to a, to a kingdom. And his kingdom is right now being formulated as people are being saved. But I'm going to tell you something. I thank the Lord for this morning. His power is already in force. I like what he said in the 28th of Matthew, one of the five times in the New Testament where you find the Great Commission is given. Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Did you ever think about it? He said, All power is given unto me. This is just before he ascended. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And the power of God, hallelujah, is available on this earth. For his kingdom power is already in force. In force right now. That's what Jesus meant when he said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. You know, we, we've, uh, uh, this church has talked to a lot of people in recent days, a lot of people about being saved. I was thinking the other day, when I'd been looking for someone, um, works in a certain place, gone uh, to the place where they worked to find them, and I was thinking about, the, and, and couldn't find them. 
and uh, must go back again in order to find I think about it all. And I was thinking, uh, am I a failure because I can't find the person yet that God's put on my heart? Then the glorious thought came to me. The power of God is at work, is at work, and it's in force. And one of these days, blessed be God forever, I'll find them. And I want to tell you, my dear friend, this morning, we do not work alone. We do not serve alone. We do not witness alone. I believe with all of my heart, the Lord Jesus is with me right now. And that the Holy Spirit is in my life because I'm a believer. And he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. My came on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were saved. I, wouldn't you like to see another uh, another great day like that? And just see hundreds and thousands of people come to the Lord. It's possible. Some folks say, oh, these are last days. There's not going to be any revival. I don't believe that. I believe, I believe we can have revival any time we want it. Any time we say, I want revival so much, I'll lay down anything, including my life, for revival. Because I believe that the power of God is here to save and to keep and to satisfy. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, this morning, I thank you for your blessed word. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful love. When I think about these two publicans, how wicked they were, and yet you loved them. And Lord, you went out of your way, uh, in, a, in a sense, to save them. My heart is stirred. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I wish I were a perfect preacher. I wish I had a perfect mind and perfect speech and a perfect body and perfect manners so that I could do a better job. But Lord, I've done the best I can do. I want you to use it this morning. Oh, speak to hearts. Dear Lord, there's some precious souls here need to be saved. And there are some here, dear Lord, who need to be baptized following the glorious example of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, there's some here this morning who need, who need to just have a touch from God. Oh Lord, when we think of some who stand way out on the outer edge and have no part in what's going on, though they're Christians, oh God, warm hearts today. What a wonderful day. This is your day. Bless the hearts of people this morning and stir hearts to do the work of Christ. I pray in Jesus' wonderful, blessed name. Amen. Will you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just a moment? And I want to ask you a question today. And I want to tell you before I ask you, if someone had asked me this question, I'd be honored. I would say, well, somebody cares for my soul. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you saved? I'd be honored for someone to ask me that anytime, anywhere, because make me know somebody cares. Somebody cares whether I'm saved or not.
I wonder today while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you dear people can say, Preacher, I know the Lord. I know the Lord. And the Lord knows me. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. He, you know, He knows you this morning. And He knows me. I wonder how many this morning can say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. I'm not asking you if you're the kind you ought to be and you'd like to be. I'm asking you, do you know this morning you're saved beyond any shadow of a doubt? Would you just lift your hand while heads are bowed and eyes are closed? No one's going to be embarrassed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You may take them down. And while I trust every Christian, I want you to pray. I beg of you to pray. Please pray. Somebody's soul hangs in the balance. Some precious person stands at the crossroads. And they're saying, which way shall I go? Shall I come to God? Or shall I go the way of the world? Will you please pray? And while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder this morning if there are those here who need to be saved and your heart's hungry and you want to be. You want to be. I sometimes think no man plans to go to hell. He just says, no, I'll not do it now. And one day, like last Saturday night, death slipped upon a 27-year-old young man that I knew quite well. And I think he was lost. And people just say, uh, I don't plan to go to hell, but I'm going to put it off and I'm going to wait. I wonder how many this morning, man or woman, boy or girl, upstairs or down, say, Preacher, pray for me. I need to be saved. Will you just slip up your hand while every Christian is praying? Just slip it up till I see it. Upstairs or down, just lift it up. You say, I'm not saved. I need to be saved. I want the Lord to save me. All right. Just keep your heads bowed now. I wonder this morning there aren't those here who have been saved. You need to make a public confession of your faith. Jesus said, Whosoever should confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. There are some here that need to be baptized. There are some here that need to come and say, Preacher, I want to join the church. And it may be that there's some that today to whom God is speaking and you want the Lord's best. And you want God to just take your life and from this moment on keep you in the hollow of His hand and use you for His glory till He comes back. Oh, dear Lord, we don't have any choice. We just have to commit everything to Thee. We cannot walk in somebody else's shoes. And so we must ask Thee to bring people to Christ and to be baptized and to join the church and to get right with God and to surrender. So, Lord, may thy blessed will be done. This day we pray in Jesus' name and we'll give you the glory. Amen.